Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Qalam Podcast. Isra wal Miraj. Join us as we revisit the miraculous night journey and the impact it had on the Prophet's life and what lessons we can apply to our own. To support community events just like this one, please visit qalamfamily.com. Jazakallah khair for listening. Uh, welcome, everybody. Alhamdulillah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, this is a um, very you know, important opportunity for us to come together and to learn about the one of the most incredible, uh, momentous occasions in the life of the Prophet Salam. And um, you know, most importantly, take some lessons from it, derive some some actions from it, uh, because stories are good and reflections are good. But we want to make sure that we walk out of here changed. The goal in any gathering of of knowledge is that you take something back with you. Just like if somebody went on vacation or went and traveled somewhere and they didn't take any you know, memories with them, it would be a very interesting, maybe purposeless vacation. If you couldn't remember you know, the beaches from the West Coast, or if you couldn't remember the food from New York City, uh, or the smells, right? Sorry, East Coasters, right? I'm not talking about the good smells. Uh, or if you couldn't remember you know, the, the beauty of the site of the Kaaba when you laid your eyes upon it the first time, or the, the, the serenity and the peace of the Green Dome in Medina when you visited, the Prophet um, these are what make those moments really, really powerful. And so the memories for gatherings of knowledge are the lessons. That's what we take home, and we hope, inshallah, that these, uh, these lessons stick with us. So the Prophet is no stranger to people challenging uh, things that have happened to him. The Prophet is not somebody that is going to be shocked when people... Uh, uh, ask him what happened and when he tells them and when they have trouble believing in him. This is, you know, something that he's been going through now uh, for years at this point. And this is actually what led to this, this journey of Al-Isra al-Ma'raj. The Prophet, obviously before his uh, messengership, was somebody that was trusted, was somebody that was believed, uh, even if he announced something that was uh, unimaginable, you know, that there were armies approaching the city, the people of Quraysh would have believed him. They said that. They attested to this. But once the Prophet ﷺ came with a message, once he came with an imperative, right? Because information is, it is what it is. But the minute that someone comes to you with some sort of information that asks you to change yourself, that's when people start to debate whether or not they want to believe or trust this person. For example, if I told you right now that outside it was, you know, uh, um, if I told you today that it was outside, it was cold, or that it was raining, or whatever, it wouldn't necessarily like move you emotionally or spiritually. It would just be a piece of information that you had to deal with. But if I gave you some sort of information regarding your faith, that in the Quran Allah says this, or the Hadith the Prophet says this, and as a result of that now we have to change ourselves, we have to practice differently or become different, then that's where people and their nafs kind of start to battle a little bit. So you find that the Prophet ﷺ was a sadiq al-ameen, he was truthful, he was trustworthy, and people had no problem with this up until he started to give them information that would tell them that you have to change your lifestyle, right? That the idolatry, that the immorality, uh, that the, 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 the aggression right, against different uh, uh, marginalized peoples, all of this has to stop. Then people started to go and they started to say, well, we don't know if we really believe that you're a messenger uh, of God. And this is the first time that the Prophet ﷺ had experienced this. So when he comes back from Jerusalem, when he arrives back from Jerusalem, 
the Prophet ﷺ, he actually took rest and he was sleeping in the, in the courtyard of the Haram. He was sleeping in the courtyard of where the Kaaba is. And none other than Abu Jahl walked by him as he was sitting there. He woke up and he was sitting there. And remember, this all happened in, in, the, in the portion of one night. So it's, it's literally bedtime the night before. And then it's time to wake up around you know, pre-Fajr the next morning. So Abu Jahl comes and he sees him. And he sees that the Prophet ﷺ has a very distinct face. Like something different happened. It's not just like, oh, normal, like you see him and it's, you can't tell of what day of the week it is. No, there's something very distinct that's different on the face of the Prophet ﷺ. So he goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he asks him, he says, what, what happened? What's the matter? What's the issue? And the Prophet ﷺ tells him very bluntly, very directly, he said, last night I was taken from here to Bayt al-Maqtis. I was taken to Al-Quds. And Abu Jahl is ecstatic at this little statement, this piece of information. He's super excited because now he has what he's been waiting for. He thinks that he has this piece of information that's finally going to show everybody that this prophet is not to be trusted, that he is now claiming something that is outright insane. But the interesting thing is that the prophet when asked this question, he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't waffle. He doesn't go back and forth. He's not trying to sort of decide, is this believable or not? The Prophet ﷺ tells it like it is. And this is lesson number one upon his return, والسلام, is that when you have faith, when you have conviction in Allah, and you come across something that you know, a moment that's going to be diametrically opposed to the faith that you have, the strength of your faith will be on display in that moment to you. And for some of us, these moments are smaller than others, right? Um, you know, I don't normally dress like this. I don't normally wear thobes like out and about in public. Some people do. Mufti Kamani, mashallah, he flies in thobes, right? He flies in thobes. He's trying to get pulled uh, in security. Anyways, so some people do, and may Allah reward them. May Allah reward I just don't do it because it's not, my, it's not you know, the style that I have. I'll wear whatever I want to wear, but this isn't something that I wear all the time. Now that I have, I'm recovering from a leg injury, it's convenient, but I don't wear it all the time, okay? But the point being is that when people ask questions like, what are you wearing? Where is that from? Right? There's, there's a way to answer that question that's going to be like the least resistant, and there's a way to answer it that's going to open up a, a new door, okay? So clothing is one thing. Your name is another thing. Where's your name from? You're like, oh, it's Middle Eastern. <laughs> is it Middle Eastern? Your name's Muhammad, right? Like... You know, isn't there a much more meaningful explanation of that name? Isn't there a, 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 um, an explanation or an unpacking of that moment that can bring a lot more substance to that conversation? I understand. Sometimes you don't really want to, you know, tell the, the cashier at Trader Joe's about your name. Right? Sometimes you don't really want to, like, start doing, like, a 15-minute Why Islam course, right, at the bank. I understand. But one lesson we learn from the Prophet ﷺ is that his, in his life, he didn't have a choice. For a lot of us, it's like a moment of convenience. You know, do I want to do dawah or not, right? You're getting your hair cut or whatever, and they're like, so tell me, like, what do you do? And, you know, you know what are you doing on Friday at 1 p.m.? And you're like, oh, man, I got to go to the community center, right? I got to go volunteer my time. There's always a way to sort of answer these questions that will be the least resistant path, that will get you out clearly. The Prophet ﷺ could have said, Abu Jahl, what's wrong with you? What's going on? What's your face like that? He could have said nothing. I had, I had a long night. It would have been accurate, right? He had a very long night, okay? 
But instead, he gives him the truth. And he tells him that last night I was taken to Jerusalem, and now I'm back here. Okay? What does this mean? When you are put up in a situation where you know in your heart of hearts that what you say in that moment will, will echo for a lot longer than the time that it took you to say it, you have to be courageous. You have to do the right thing. And Allah will reward you for that moment and that stand of courage, even if you feel like there's no chance. Allah will reward you for that. And always, especially when it comes to issues of morality and issues of character, never be shy to attribute the beauty that's within you to Allah and his messenger. Don't ever be, don't, don't be selfish and try to claim the beauty that, you know, people say, oh, you're so honest. You're so generous. You're so warm and caring. All of these things, we have benefited from our faith in receiving these characteristics. It's not us who are just naturally hospitable and generous. If we didn't know the character of the Prophet ﷺ that had been transferred by a senad that taught us from his time to ours and it was carried actively through our family and our culture and our, all of Muslim majority countries' cultures are dictated by the example of the Prophet ﷺ. And so this generosity and this, this, this warmth and compassion that people when they meet you they might identify it within you. If they don't, then that's an even bigger problem. Right? They're like, hey, Ahmed, you're really cold and rude, right? We should never, ever have that. But if someone identifies being positive, be the person that's courageous enough to attribute that to the Prophet Say that in my faith, in my religion, right, we're taught to do this. We're taught to take care of other people. Why did you always pay for my lunch? Why are you covering my coffee? Right? You don't have to do that. You're like, I know I don't have to do that. But in my faith... We're taught to take care of our friends and colleagues. We're taught to be generous. We're taught to, we're taught to take care of these things and not even take account of it, right? Give it back to the Prophet ﷺ. Give it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Abu Jahl hears this, he becomes obviously ecstatic. And he goes and he calls all of his people, all the people of Quraysh, and he gathers everybody. And they come and Abu Jahl asks the Prophet ﷺ, can you tell everybody again where you went last night? And the Prophet ﷺ starts to... Tell everybody the story of what happened. And we don't have too long again because Mufti Kamani, inshallah, has to come and give his session. But the Prophet ﷺ begins to give an in-depth description of the experience that he had. That I was here and that Angel Jibreel, he came and he saw me and he brought this creature, this winged creature. And that creature carried me. And the, the steps that the creature took were as long as the horizon. And I saw these incredible visions and then I went and I met all the prophets and I led them. He goes the whole story that Sheikh just went over. He went over the whole thing. And as he's narrating this story, as he's telling them, whenever there's like a break in his voice, right? And he's describing Al-Aqsa. So interesting. I don't know if Sheikh described to you this story, this moment. But when they challenge him, there's some people there that have seen. Some people who are, have, have connections with the rabbis and some others who have seen. And they say, describe to us. We've seen it. We've seen uh, 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 you know, uh, the, the Dome of the Rock, and we've seen, tell us what it looks like. And the Prophet ﷺ said, in that moment, I didn't remember what it looked like. Remember, he, he wasn't there on like an a archaeological mission. He was there to go, I mean, he didn't know why he was going, really. Like, Allah took him there. So he wasn't there taking notes on how many windows and how big they were and what color. That wasn't his role. But he said at that moment, because he didn't have the, 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 the memory exactly of what everything looked like, he said, subhanAllah, before his eyes, Allah Ta'ala made before him to appear this projection 
of the very place he was being asked about. And so he was able to describe it down to the, to the, to the granular detail. And as he's describing it, the color in the face of these people who are challenging him, it's like draining from their face because they're shocked. They're shocked and they realize that there's no historical record of Muhammad وسلم, visiting Al-Aqsa. And remember, people knew each other's business very intimately. They knew, right? In tribal societies, you knew everything about where people went, where they didn't go, because it wasn't like a quick trip. Tonight you can go to Aqsa, come back tomorrow. It's possible with air travel. Back then, you would have been gone for weeks and months, and they would have said, where's Muhammad? And they would have known. So there's no record of the Prophet making these journeys. Okay, and all of a sudden he's describing down to every last centimeter. He's just, this window is cracked, it's facing this way, this one's this, the color of this. And, and, and the people there are stunned, they're shocked. Okay, but with every description the Prophet was making, he has this moment of people jeering at him and laughing at him. And this is something that we as Muslims, we have to understand will always be there. If, if you are looking as a believing person to be welcomed and coddled by everybody around you when you state the things that you believe in and your convictions, then you're, you're a little bit mistaken. There will always be people that challenge the notion of your beliefs, the very core of them, the essence of them. They will challenge those things. They may not laugh in your face. They may not make you feel you know, little in that moment. But there will be always people that will disagree with you. If, if the standard for what is true is people agreeing, then we're lost. Right? The standard for what is true in our hearts is it came from Allah through his messenger to us. So I'm not trying to win a popularity contest as a Muslim. I'm not trying to get everyone to agree with me and to manipulate what I can from the text to make sure that it sounds nice. I'll do my job, and it already, I know it sounds nice. It's kalam Allah. It's the beautiful speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the example of his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If I have to explain it in a way that is presentable and easy for them, that's different. But I'm not going to leave things out and change things. So the Prophet, sallallahu is being honest. He's being true to himself. And every step along the way, there's laughter and there's mockery. But there's one person that in the midst of all that mockery, you hear a voice that is escalating above the mockery and saying, Sadaqti Ya Rasulullah. You're hearing one person whose voice is elevating and is saying, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you're being truthful. Because everyone else's laughter is saying, What? You're a joke. But one person is saying, You're being truthful. And this person is the same person that when the Prophet, وسلم, when he described him, he said that everybody. Everybody, this is later in Medina, he said, everybody that I told about Islam, they hesitated, even for half a second. Like when I came to them and I told them, not about, they didn't disbelieve, they didn't challenge, but they just kind of were like, what? Like, hmm, you know? Interesting. He said, the only person that didn't hesitate when I told them that I am a messenger of Allah was this person, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Everyone else kind of gave like a little stutter step, like, huh? Abu Bakr was the only one that said, you're the messenger of God. When the Prophet said one time in a gathering was praising Abu Bakr, and he said that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he said that if I were to give Abu Bakr all of my money and everything that I have, my property, everything that belongs to me in my name, if I could give it to him, 
it would still not repay him for the loyalty and dedication he had for me my entire life. And he's sitting in a gathering, and he looks at Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr's crying. You know what he says to the Prophet Everyone's looking at Abu Bakr. It's a powerful moment. He looks at the Prophet. He says, Ya Rasulullah, what is money without you? What's the purpose of this dunya without you? You could give me everything. And everyone thinks that I'm the wealthiest now, but if I don't have you, I'm the poorest. So in reality, you think that you're rewarding me by paying me back, Ya Rasulullah, being your companion was the most valuable thing. It was the thing that made me rich. This is what Abu Bakr, some of us wonder, like, how did he have, how did Abu Bakr always have the courage and the strength and the fortitude to always do the right thing and to always make the right decision? You look at so many companions, you know, we have great stories of companions who they might have faltered or stumbled. They were human. Abu Bakr was one of those guys that just always got it right. And you find that the reason why this is amongst many was because Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was somebody that understood the value of the Prophet in his life. It was non-negotiable. It wasn't something he could, you know, you could never convince the, that Abu Bakr that the Prophet wasn't the most important person in his life. You could never convince him that his religion was something that was up for, up for sale. It wasn't like that for him. So in that moment, when he's being surrounded by mockery, when the Prophet is literally at the, 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 the pressure, right, in a pressure cooker of people that are challenging him, of incredulousness, you have one voice that escalates and says multiple times, Sadaqta Ya Rasulullah, Sadaqta Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet finally, after the last time, he looks at Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and he says, Enta Siddiq. He says, you keep saying that I'm truthful. No, you are the truthful one, Ya Abu Bakr. Ya Abu Bakr, you are the one who's being truthful. Being truthful for what? Being truthful because every single one of us, every day, when we say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasulullah, when we are saying that, that claim, we are not stating a fact, we are stating a hope. We're stating a hope that we believe. Ya Allah, we hope that we can live a life that is congruent with this statement, that we believe that you are the only thing worthy of worship and that your messenger is Muhammad sallallahu It's not a fact yet. We don't know if it's a fact until we die. Right? That's why when Allah Ta'ala calls out, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, all you who claim to believe, there's always a little bit of a challenge that's put in those verses. Right? Why? Because we need to know that we're following the right path. Everyone needs a checkup. So when he tells Abu Bakr, Enta Siddiq, what he's telling him is Abu Bakr, in the claim that you are a believer of God and that you believe that I am the messenger of God, you are the most truthful one out there. There is no one that comes close. And this is the one voice that stood amongst many that supported the Prophet This shows us something really valuable. Islam, and by virtue of Islam, Muslims, have never been obsessed with numbers. We don't really care about numbers. We care about the right people, not the amount of people. We care about being surrounded by, even if it's only one, we care about the quality of the company that we keep. Many people in the era of followers, in the era of you know, people, likes and engagement, many people take a lot of pride in how many people know them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we learn from some of the scholars that there are many people that are famous in the dunya, but they're completely anonymous in the akhirah. No one will know their name. They'll just be another inhabitant of the hellfire. May Allah protect us. 
And there are people that are walking on the dun- in the dunya, on the same earth that you are walking on. And you're walking next to them. Imagine New York City, right? Smells like a bathroom. Anyways, right? Imagine these... <laughs> I had to. I'm from Chicago. There's always got to be uh, a you know, beef there. Zabiha beef. Uh, so... <laughs> Imagine you're walking past somebody, and this is how the great awliya of Allah, the, 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 you know, people who are close to Allah, they never want to offend anybody because they don't know, like, maybe this person could be close to Allah. Even though they are unknown to me, they could be famous in the heavens. Maybe the angels are, 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 maybe the angels are following after this person. How we say fangirling, right? Maybe they're like fan-angeling after this person, just trailing them. Why? Because when everyone else is asleep in the middle of the night, this person stands before Allah or sits before Allah when it's dark outside. Do you guys ever think about how amazing that is, by the way? The most sincere moment that you can have with Allah is in darkness. Like there's no sun out. You're sitting there before the sun has even risen and you have your hands cupped quietly to Allah. If you've never done this before, you have to do it. If you wake up early, right, when you get to my age a little bit, it's not because you're energetic, it's because you have to go to the bathroom. So when you, if you wake up early before Fajr and you sit there and you have your hands cut before Allah and you are pouring your heart out to Allah, you know, if you, if you think that you're going through something, if you need Allah and you haven't woken up for tahajjud yet, you, you're not really going through it yet. You got to sit there before Allah and open your hands and pour to Allah and realize that not a soul is awake is aware, is listening. If you refresh your feed on Instagram, nothing's happening. You're going to get all that ad for like AG greens and like all these random like pre-workouts and whatever it is you follow, okay? And furniture that's too expensive for you. No, no one's posting at that time. It's time for you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I thought it's always, I always thought metaphorically it's so powerful that the time when you are closest to Allah is when everyone else is asleep. <laughs> no distractions. Just me and the one that I need. Because when everyone wakes up, I get busy with distractions. But when they go to sleep, I'm with Allah. So the believer is more concerned about those, the quality of the people, the quality of the moments. Not, they don't care about who's around them. They don't care about the amount of people that are looking at them, that know them, that remember them, that this and this and this. And that was the example of the Prophet and Abu Bakr. In the middle of Mecca, with people shouting at him, laughing at him, calling him liar, this and this, crazy, this and this. And these words hurt him. Allah Ta'ala said that these words hurt him. مَا أَنْتَ بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ بِمَجْنُونَ He had to actually like console him. You're not crazy. You're not what they're calling you. So words hurt. But amongst the consolation that Allah gave the Prophet ﷺ was a good friend. Right? And this is when he needed him most. And Abu Bakr as-Siddiq always proved to be that good friend. So when the Prophet ﷺ returned, we learned some valuable points here. Number one, he didn't let his principle waver. He went from the lowest moment of his life, Amil Huzan, the year of sadness. He went from the lowest moment of his life, ﷺ, and Allah elevated him to the highest point of his existence. To a place that no human has ever visited before, has ever gone to, had a conversation in a way that is befitting to Allah, in a way that no one else knows about. And then when the Prophet ﷺ came back, when he received the salah, when he received the prayer, when he had that moment, after going through the toughest time of his life, he displayed and showed strength and conviction and trust in Allah that was admirable. And amongst him, 
his companion, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this conviction. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this strength. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us good friends. We ask Allah Ta'ala to surround us with people that reinforce us in truth and that remind us to be truthful. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to surround us with people that soften our hearts and that we are around, when we are around them, our hearts are softened. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.